Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of SyrupCast. My name is Daniel Bader, and as always, I am joined by Douglas Soltis, who is uh, recently back from a short trip to London, England. How are you, sir? Cheerio! (laughs) That's what I learned. Uh, Let's start that over again, because that was really bad. (laughs) What? That was a bad cheerio? That was terrible. And uh, we're so happy to have him back uh, from from the nation's capital, I think, right? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, never mind. Um, ben Class, uh, welcome back, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Oh, I'm me, the nation's capital. Yeah, I'm in the nation's capital. How's it going? <laughs> oh, you thought I was talking about Toronto? Yeah. You thought it, no, I, was, I thought I was you were just talking about London. Of- Oh, Lund? Yeah, no. I was like, no. Welcome it? to us never having done a podcast before. Geography? Hmm? No, you don't need geography for a podcast because it's everywhere. It's in the, it's in the ether. Uh, today on Syrupcast, obviously, obviously, Rogers and Mobilicity. What happens now? Uh, we'll talk to Ben, who is in a telecom expert about... How does the Canadian mobile landscape change now that wind has significantly more spectrum than they did a few days ago? Now that Mobilicity is being uh, incorporated into Rogers, what happens to those subscribers? Do they just continue on as Mobilicity subscribers, or will they be rolled up into Fido or Chatter? Uh, We'll talk a little bit about MTS's new total internet plan. If you haven't heard of that, it's actually quite progressive for... A Canadian telecom, and we'll go back to last week a little bit about the Wall Report and have uh, Ben give us his take on it. We'll also mention briefly BlackBerry's fiscal Q1 2016 results. A little bit uh, hit and miss, but uh, there is some uh, reasons for for confidence. And finally, uh, well, well, we'll we'll see. We'll see if we have time. But uh, Apple Music is launching on the 30th, and you know Taylor Swift. So let's start with uh, with you, Ben. Give me your kind of high level take on on what happened yesterday uh, and earlier this week, uh, given how quickly it all transpired. Well, yeah, I think a good starting point is to take note of how quickly everything did transpire. Like this is a pretty major deal. So what happened was is that uh, Mobilicity, this struggling, I guess, fifth carrier, uh, which operates in a number of uh, you know, it's in Ottawa, Toronto. Um, Vancouver, and I think a couple other cities, maybe Edmonton. Edmonton and Calgary. Uh, You know, they've been struggling since about 2013 in creditor protection. You might remember back in the day uh, when Christian Parity was the industry minister, they they blocked a deal from TELUS, and that sort of kicked off that whole Verizon's coming to Canada thing, right? 
Uh, so mm. Mobilicity had been in trouble for a long time, and there's been a lot of speculation about who's going to buy it ever since that uh, 2013 sort of dust-up. Um, TELUS has made a number of attempts to pick it up, and, uh, and they've all been rebuffed by the government. So on Friday, I think Christine Dobby at the Globe and Mail there reported that something was in the works with, uh, with Rogers. Or it, on Friday, it might have even been a potential buyer. But, uh, but in any case, it seems like overnight, uh, from the 23rd till yesterday, uh, we got all the details um, you know, announcements from Mobilicity, Rogers, and Wind. We have the federal government, that's Industry Canada, um, announcing that they've approved the deal. We've got the courts approving the deal, and we've got the Competition Bureau approving the deal. So, uh, so there's a lot, a lot of moving parts here, and it seems like everything sort of just spilled out at once. Um, so, that, I mean, there's a lot to process. That's a good place to start, to start with it, right? Um, the federal government doesn't move quickly, and neither do giant companies like Rogers. So my first thought is how long has this sort of been in the works? And, uh, and how much involvement has there been from the various parties in putting these pieces in place, right? Cause so I, um, I talked to uh, the CEO of the new CEO of, of Win today, um, Alec, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Krascik. And Krajic? he mentioned that he actually brokered the deal, that he got in touch with both TELUS and Rogers and tried to, he wanted to do the deal with TELUS. Uh, he thought that it would actually be a better and easier time to do the deal with TELUS uh, because he sold Public Mobile. He was the CEO of Public. And before that, he was actually the president of, Mobilis of uh, Bell Mobility for five years. Um he brokered this deal, and he found that Rogers was just more amenable to um, hitting certain points of the deal. So, you know, Rogers didn't want to keep as much spectrum as um, as as Telus did. They were willing to sell more of it off to Wind. Um, basically, l let's give a high level breakdown of what is actually happening. Right. So, Mobilicity, one hundred fifty thousand subscribers, uh, one hundred call center employees, thirty full time employees in Vaughn, uh, lots of debt. They are getting bought by Rogers. So Rogers is inheriting all of that infrastructure. They have 10 megahertz of spectrum, AWS spectrum, in five, five regions that they purchased in 2008 for around $260 million. Uh, they are going over to Rogers. But as a part of this deal, Rogers had to agree to sell some of its spectrum, of Mobilicity spectrum, to Wind. But back in 2013, Rogers also had an option to buy Spectrum, the same kind of AWS Spectrum from Shaw, which at the time was pondering whether it wanted to enter the wireless business. It turned out it didn't have any feasible way of doing so. So it's been sitting on a bunch of Spectrum in Ontario as well, uh, and, and the West, in Alberta and British Columbia. So part of this deal was that Rogers got to go through with the option of buying that Spectrum as well as a spectrum from from Mobilicity, as long as it sold a portion of it to Wind. Now, Wind na then benefited greatly from this. I think they got 20 megahertz in uh, parts of Canada that they had no spectrum or just a tiny bit of spectrum. And now in parts of Ontario, they have 30 megahertz. So I, I think this is really the biggest takeaway here, is that Wind benefits greatly from just having greater capacity. 
Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I think that wind does, Rogers does as well. Um, it was interesting to see where that's, I mean, Industry Canada slapped up that, uh, the graph um, with a bunch of pretty colors. Actually, they're kind of ugly colors. They had pink for wind for some reason. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see where, uh, where the mobility in wind spectrum sits. Uh, it's directly in between the Rogers on the one side and the TELUS on the other, right? So, um, so wind has basically swapped some spectrum with Rogers uh, in order to give them both uh, bigger contiguous blocks. So like basically um, more spectrum that's right next to each other. Uh, they don't need different antenna equipment. They can sort of start putting that together. I'm sure you probably know more about this, this uh, on the technical side um, than I do. But they could have done the same thing with TELUS, right? Um, so yeah. I, I'd just be, you know, I don't, I don't think wind is, is clearly a pretty big winner here, but there's a lot of missing details. You know, like, for instance, I saw someone talking yesterday about, uh, about how, uh, asking how much wind is paying for this. Spectrum, yeah, right. They won't. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. You know, like uh, someone was saying, yeah, wind isn't wind isn't paying, or they're getting it for a song or something like that. Well, first of all, most of these carriers have got most of their spectrum for a song over the years, but uh, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, wind's getting a heck of a lot of spectrum from Rogers here, and it's getting very uh, complementary assets to the ones that it already owns. And it's saying that it's just getting them for free because Rogers Rogers wanted to get access to some Shaw Spectrum in Vancouver and uh, and Calgary. You know, I, I think there's got to be more to the story than that. You know, if you go into the uh, if you go into the particular details of the way that the uh, these swaps were made, what you see is that uh, is that Wind has been given all the mobility spectrum, like it now owns all that, uh, approved very quickly by Industry Canada, like we were saying. Um, it owns now most of the Shaw spectrum, like Rogers has only hung on to two of the licenses, the provincial license for BC and the provincial license for Alberta. Shaw also had a bunch of smaller licenses in, uh, in Ontario, Manitoba, and Saskatchewan. Um, but also hidden down in there is that WIND has, uh, has so done what's called subordinating the licenses back to Rogers right away. And subordination is the uh, the sort of spectrum management technical term for uh, for letting someone else use your license, right? So so I mean, there's a number of reasons why they might do that. In the Rogers press release, so, they said that they could move the Mobility customers over to their own network immediately, but they're probably not going to be doing that. Um, the subordinate subordination agreement goes until December 29th of this year, so the end of this year. Um, and so what that tells me is is possibly that Rogers is going to be keeping those networks running for a little while while they maybe uh, reconfigure their network, uh, decide what to do with the Mobility customers, uh, or uh, possibly that Wynn's being given that much time to come up with some money. You know, the amount of money that Rogers has paid for Mobility is quite a lot more than what the earlier offers were, like $100 million plus more than the original offers. And you have to wonder... Um, where did where's that extra hundred million coming from? So you know, so we have free spectrum and people paying more for things. Uh, than, that's not than free. Worth, I mean, Wind you know. Wind's CEO admitted that that he paid for the spectrum, but just won't admit how much he paid for it. Yeah, so I I imagine that they probably you know there might be a tendency to under exaggerate how much it costs. Um, and that that it's possible that that extra money could explain why Rogers got the deal. 
So Douglas, when you look at something like this and and you think, okay, well, Win now has enough spectrum, uh, both to either launch an LTE network or improve capacity uh, in its existing network. Um, how much do you think this plays into the whole? Uh, you know, we are now growing up. We're now coming into our own. We're now, you know, we can now enter negotiations on a relatively equal footing with the incumbents. Do you think that this will allow them to, you know, say, go to Apple or go to, you know, one of the, you know, some of the bigger companies and say, okay, now we're, you have to pay attention to us. We're, we're the real deal now. Um, I don't know if it takes them to that point, but it's certainly uh, a step along the way. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a step farther away from selling lightly loved iPhones. Um, Which they did start doing today. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, I think with this, the thing to keep in mind is that you know Wind has had an interest in what they got out of this deal for a relatively long time, and they were able to do it in like this is the classic three-way sports trade scenario, right? Where you have the the third-party broker kind of making out better on the deal um, than they normally would by being able to facilitate it. I think what what we've just kind of laid out in terms of how this was done is interesting, but I think you know. This this is what wind is needed for a really long time, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least at least at least part of it. Um, now, how far that gets them towards leverage, and the you know the the fact that Roger was was willing to participate in this is and to give wind what they wanted. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it's interesting. It, it's interesting you point that out because at this time last year we were getting a decision from the CRTC banning Rogers from. Uh, you know, basically forcing wind into exclusive roaming agreements, right? Mm-hmm. So a year ago today, we had a much more adversarial uh, environment, in particular between wind and Rogers. And I'm sure, Daniel, you know, you've covered the CTS before. Uh, there mm-hmm. was the sort of famous exchanges between Ken Engelhardt at Rogers and Ed Antical, um, uh, the uh, executive regulatory guy at uh, wind over the, you know, they were sort of really vicious to each other about tower sharing between the companies and, uh, and you know, oh, are you going to piggyback on my infrastructure? Are you going to build your own type of thing? And now we have, uh, I mean, I think the signal, this, this is also a signal of a, a sort of shift in the management approach uh, at Rogers. And also it's a big move for the new management at Wind. But it isn't, isn't it though? So like, what would Rogers have done with the Spectrum? Because they didn't need it, right? Well, I mean, we just, in the run-up to this, Daniel was talking about uh, Rogers slipping way behind to um, TELUS, was it, in, uh, in BC? It's a major in, market. In Vancouver specifically, yeah. So if you look, if you look at the CRTC's reporting, um, on a province-by-province basis, the spend, customers, what customers spend on their mobile service is considerably higher in BC and Alberta. Uh, than it is in uh, the rest of the country. It's like over 70 bucks a month on average, right? This is the RPO figure. It doesn't necessarily reflect the price, but it does reflect what people spend on average per month, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like over 70 bucks in Alberta and it's 65 and it's in BC sitting, you know, around 60 or below in the rest of the country, uh, sometimes down to as low as 50. But um, Rogers is, if it's falling behind in these markets, the main spectrum it's held onto on account of this deal is a big, I think it's 20 megahertz in each of those, uh, each of those provinces. So, I mean, I think that really puts it, them in a good position to com- compete 
uh, and to improve the quality of their service in these markets, right? And yeah, so I, I, I think, um, sorry to interrupt, Doug, I just, I'm looking at the charts that the industry, that Industry Canada put out uh, relating the before and after Spectrum holdings for each company. And what's, what's really interesting to me is that Rogers, um, they only had 10 by 10 AWS in, uh, throughout the entire com country. I mean, they didn't have anything higher than that in, in a single region. So what that meant was that, you know, in Ontario, they've been using 2,500 megahertz uh, as, a, as a capacity boost. Um, but it seems like they also had a lot more spectrum in Ontario in other places before this. So prior to, um, you know, just, just looking at sort of the Rogers um, Ontario holdings prior to the spectrum swap, uh, they had 20 megahertz in the A block throughout the entire com country except for Saskatoon. And now they have 40 megahertz in all of southern Ontario sorry, 30 megahertz in all of southern, southern Ontario. They have 40 megahertz in both Alberta and British Columbia. So that's, for them, a huge coup because they now have double the spectrum that, that TELUS and Bell have. Um, well, they have 10 megahertz more than, than TELUS and Bell have, uh, not to mention the fact that they still have that 2,500 megahertz band to work with. Well, yeah, and they, I so, mean, there's a 700 megahertz too, right? And there's also, they've got their 850. So well, right. So the seven hundred is is interesting um, because they have more. They they don't have more seven hundred. They just have, I guess, better seven hundred than Bell and Telus. No, Rogers or, was the big spender in that one, weren't they? They were the big spender yeah. because they wanted the contiguous uh, band twelve blocks. They wanted A and B together, whereas um, Telus and Bell split the C one, C two, and then E and and then E and F I, or D and E. I forget the band um, breakdown, but they basically got uh, C1 and C2 in most of the country, uh, and then they split the unpaired 5 megahertz in block E. So for them, I mean, they were fine with it because they're just going to use that to pair it with uh, their band 2, band 4, uh, and, and just have extra downlink capacity. But for Rogers, this was the only way that they could... Um, improve their existing LTE coverage on existing LTE handsets because when they started uh, with 700 megahertz, oh, sorry, when they started launching LTE devices, that not all of them supported 700 megahertz. So some legacy Rogers LTE devices are AWS only. Sorry, that was super technical. That was like a four sec, four minute aside of just like technical no, jargon. No, no, it's, it's good to have that, that kind of stuff, you know, because uh, the devil's in the details. You know, while you're, yeah. while you're talking about this, I'm thinking, um, first, there's a long history, right, of Rogers has always been the dominant provider, and it's, you know, different from province to province, but they've always, I think, held the most spectrum of any of these companies. This is, yes. a, this is on a national level, you know. In the right. 80s, they were given national licenses when the rest of the companies were given regional ones. They got more spectrum uh, in the 90s. That was the PCS spectrum. Uh, they bought uh, FIDO in 2004 you know, with a million customers and so, uh, another big chunk of that good PCS spectrum. Um, so they, I mean, they were, wh wh which one did Rogers, they didn't bid in the, uh, the 2500 just recently. Is that right? No, cause they, they had, they were at capacity yeah. in most regions. So, I mean, they, they're, they're pretty flush with spectrum, but, um, 
But sorry, know. they did bid. They actually bid in areas they didn't have the. Uh, they weren't at capacity. They didn't bid in AWS three. But so I mean, there's lots of technical details. But you can put it in the in the uh, the sort of this long term trend of Rogers trying to hang on to lots of the spectrum. And you're talking about them getting contiguous blocks, and uh, and building up their downlink capacity, right? And uh, and I'm looking at where they're offering this, thinking, okay, here's the technical side. What wh why might they be doing this, right? And the areas where they're really buffing it up is places where um, they don't have video distribution, right? BC and Alberta. And at the same time, they're moving in with these game center uh, show me apps and so on. Mm. So, I mean, I wonder if this might not be signaling uh, Rogers sort of moving towards using their wireless network to, uh, to compete in the over-the-top video market in places where they mm. don't have their own cable infrastructure. That's really interesting. Because they would be, um, there would be a a DMTO exemption if they were just doing um, unilateral or uh, unidirectional broadcast, right? Yeah, like if anything, anything on the internet basically is uh, is you, you know it's it's subject to only really light regulation. Uh, right. You know they can't they can't do unfair dealing. You know like anti-competitive stuff with it, but they don't have to meet any of the sort of Canadian content quotas, and there's no regulation about you know um, swear words or anything like that. Right, so uh, so it's a lot cheaper, right, to provide over-the-top service to Rogers if they have an existing network uh, where they can guarantee a good quality for something like, say, Game Center, right? Uh, than it would be to build out a uh, a cable network or to share the revenue, you know, do, doing a traditional cable TV distribution model for those types of things. I mean, that's just speculation. I mean, I haven't seen inside the black box, you know, but it, uh, it, it seems to be sort of on par with where the company's going anyway. So I want to quote you something that uh, Alec told me earlier today. He said, um, you know, in, regarding the fact that he now has an enormous amount of spectrum that was formerly owned by Shaw in both Manitoba and Saskatchewan. He has 30 megahertz of AWS-1 spectrum in Manitoba. He has more spectrum in manitoba than mts does in the aws band um he said we have spectrum in manitoba and saskatchewan and if the folks at sastel and mts want it we'll sell it to them the right thing to do is to facilitate a national fourth wireless carrier we're never going to build in manitoba and saskatchewan what i'd like to see happen is a ripple effect where if we and rogers can team up and do this deal we can sit down with all the providers across Canada, from Bragg to Shaw to Videotron, and do a spectrum swap that is in all of our best interests. Yikes. What do you think about that? Yikes. Um, Why well, didn't we lead with that before talking about contiguous blocks? Well, because... <laughs> Bear I mean, did that lead, it, son. <laughs> it may never happen, but it's, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting look at this kind of... You know, everybody's a buddy strategy that pervades the the big four now because you know Alec is is chummy. He's chummy in a way that Lacovera never was with the with the incumbents. Well, but CEOs. also now has the opportunity to be because the CRTC is like there. There's it's it's less of a dogfight now, right? Well, CRTC's handed them a handed wind, you know, uh, a victory on a silver platter or whatever the mixed metaphor might be in that roaming decision. Right, uh, wind can afford to be a little more, um, a little more chummy with people, or a little more, you know, strutting their stuff or whatever. But uh, 
but it, the fight's not over yet. There's still going to be lots of back and forth. The costing of, uh, you know, the CRTC is going to get into how much does all this stuff cost, and that is just a total shit show. You know, uh, it's uh, it's going to take years. You know, they, the usage-based billing stuff s started up in 2011, and they're still working it out. You know, there's still major complaints all the time about how much the, the wireline internet stuff is costed. But anyway, sorry, just going, going to what Daniel said there. Uh, that's the first time I've heard that, and I've been wondering myself for a while, being a you know Manitoba boy, right? Uh, winds holding the spectrum there. Uh, people talk about the fourth carrier. There's not really four carriers in Manitoba. You know, it's M Manitoba, uh, Tel, and uh, Rogers sharing a network. Bell and Tel sharing a network. Now we've got Wind talking about, well, we're not going to get in on that action at all. Um, and it's kind of it's a little disheartening to hear that he, he's taken this sort of traditional facilities-based geographical uh, sort of carving up of markets type approach. Like, we'll sell you the spectrum. You guys have your Manitoba market. We'll have our Ontario market. You know, because what I'd like to see really is, uh, is you know, maybe a pair of competing networks like what we've got right now that's a little more open to service-based providers like Google yeah. Fi or Ting, right? So yeah. Talking about you have your spectrum and you have your market and we'll have our spectrum and we'll have our market. That sounds a lot more like old timey telco uh, monopolism. Yeah. So, mm. so, but what's the population of Manitoba? It's uh, like 1.2 million, I think. Yeah. That. There you go. That's your answer. <laughs> well, it's also like, a lot cheaper to put the uh, to you know cover areas and um, and you don't you know you don't the the tower is just sort of. Uh, go up in Prairie Land, and if you look, uh, there's that LockCell.com website that does a real good job of measuring uh, measuring the wireless infrastructure. And I think Manitoba has got like the least dense network of anywhere, right? Uh, something like the least towers per people, um, hmm. or maybe it's so the most people per tower, or something like that. So, but so. There, there's a couple of things to, to look at here. I totally agree that, you know, in the long run, something like the proposal Obelisk put forth to turn Mobilicity into an MVNO, where they would basically be bought by Rogers and then have no spectrum of their own. They would just piggyback off whichever incumbent's network is the strongest and pay them a roaming fee. Um, that's a possibility for companies down the road only if the the price set forth by the CRTC in November for domestic roaming, uh, wholesale domestic roaming, is low enough that these companies can, you know, still turn a profit on on uh, roaming on those networks. Well, no, so, that's, that's um, Mobilicity. First of all, they don't own any infrastructure, right? They've just licensed everything out. So, like, Ericsson actually runs their network. They've got, what, 30 employees, you said, uh, 100 in a call center and stuff. So what Rogers is buying here is the Spectrum licenses and the customers. So I don't, I really don't understand that proposal at all. Because if Rogers buys Mobilicity, like, it, it, you know, at most it could be a flanker brand. And then you know that the price is just going to go up. They're not going to be doing these, what is it, $20 for unlimited voice and stuff like that. Um, to get access to those regulated rates, you have to have a license. The CRTC didn't didn't go so far as to let MVNOs into the market, so uh, so I mean you you have to make you have to make that distinction, right? Down the road, talking about down the road, we might get MVNOs. Well, if a company like Rogers wants to let the MVNO operate, right? Right. So, I mean that's 
when I when we're talking about these sort of geographical markets and these spectrum swaps and stuff like that, it's all um, the existing players deciding how the market's going to uh, going to act, and there's still pretty big barriers to uh, to new new companies operating in a sort of you know more progressive uh, technological way like service-based competition versus facilities-based basically. Right. So if you're a Mobilicity customer, what are you expecting to happen in the next? six months to a year uh, I'm guessing that your price is probably going to go up eventually you know Rogers didn't buy all those customers for nothing um, they spent a lot of money right 450 million minus uh, minus the whatever 140 million that they're going to get in uh, in tax credits right um, Going back to that subordination agreement we are talking about, how Wind is sharing the Spectrum back with Rogers, it, it ends in December 29th. So I'm guessing whatever uh, whatever happens to Mobilicity customers, it'll be happening in the next six months. One thing that uh, Alec told me is that I, I, I echoed what a lot of our readers were worried about, that now that Wind has you know one fewer so-called competitor to worry about, that it's going to increase prices. But what he said is what I thought all along, is that Mo- Mobilicity was never really a competitor in any real way. I mean, they've been floundering for almost two years. Their plans were so low, but their network was so bad that their customers just were not even in the same realm as, as even Wynn's customers are today. You know, you mm-hmm. would, there, there, was no, there were no great roaming deals so that once you left a... A, a mobility home network. You were just out of luck, you know. It was well, they, but they, it was a very different and terrible experience for most of Mobilicity's customers. But it was appealing to people who, you know, stayed within their local area, made mostly phone calls, not a lot of data, and were mostly prepaid. Um, you know, many of whom didn't have a credit card. So it was a it was a very different uh, demographic than the than the one Wind is is pushing for. Well, I think yeah. I mean that's. I think that's probably a standard response. You remember they had that there was that ag- aggression between those two companies. Uh, what was it in the earlier this year or maybe last fall, where they were going back and forth on Twitter when was running like a mobility promotion, trying to steal Moby's customers. But they, I mean, they've been cash uh, neutral basically. Like they've been breaking even on their day-to-day operations during this bankruptcy. It's that you know that they can't service their debt. That's uh, that's really had them in trouble, and they haven't really lost that many customers. You know, I think. Yeah. Okay. But so then, let's tie that again when you're talking about cost increase, because like obviously the Mobilicity customer is the one being like, "What is my cheapest possible option to have cellular access?" So the assumption being that Rogers is going to raise raise those prices, like they bought customers, and then you know, going back to ARPU, they want to they want to crank that, right? What what's the expectation that those people are going to stay? as that happens for a long enough period for Rogers to make some of the money back. No, if yeah. these are the type of customer that are, are basically looking for just like, what's the cheapest plan for me to have a phone? I'm on Wi-Fi anyways. I never leave Toronto, you know, like are, is, did Rogers buy customers that they're eventually going to just churn off? Well, it's, it's possible. I mean, but the, you look at their offerings with, uh, with Fido, right? Chatter. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with the Chatter one, so maybe you could you could say a bit more about it. But I know that the the low end Fido plans have 
you know, I think um, I'm going to feel bad saying this, but are pretty cheap. You know, I've noticed there we're looking at like the low $30 range for a couple hundred minutes, right? So I know Mobilicity was offering its unlimited service, uh, but people might turn to a Fido or to a Chatter. That'd be my guess, right? Yeah, Chatter's positioned themselves as a low-cost, no-credit-down type of carrier, even though they are pushing their customers to post-paid and they just introduced data service on an add-on basis. So, you know, Fido has positioned itself as the millennial brand for people with disposable income. Their data plans are not particularly cheap. I mean, you, you spend 50 bucks for or $53 right now for unlimited talk, text, and one gig of data in Canada. Oh, yikes. Uh, whereas, you know, on Rogers, that same plan would be, I think, 70 or, or $80. Um, 80, so, 85 Sorry, it's it's 65 I'm talking about the price of bringing your own device. Oh, so it's gotcha, 65 yeah. bucks for, on Fido for one gig, uh, for 53 if you bring your own phone. But... You know, these are not cheap plans for a little bit of data, whereas the proposition of having unlimited Canada-wide talk, text, and, and data uh, on Mobilicity has basically been what's attractive to its customers. But then you look at the fine print and you see that, well, it's not really unlimited. It's five gigabytes, and then they start throttling you after that. Um, and the speeds, so, I mean, what you're talking about, they have, what, 10 megahertz of spectrum or something like that? So we're not talking about LTE speeds here either. No, you know, we're definitely not talking about LTE speeds at all. Um, you know, Mobilicity's been... I mean, we, we've talked about how wind struggled to, to scale um, in, in, places like on t in, in places like Toronto and Vancouver, but Mobilicity didn't even try to scale. I mean, the, the best speeds I ever got on Mobilicity, and I think the last time I used their network was about a year ago, were about two and a half, three megabits down and maybe 500 kilobits up. Whereas on a good day... With a relatively, you know, sparsely used tower on wind in Toronto, I can get you know eight, ten megabits because they just upgraded their their um, infrastructure. They have their antennas pushing out you know ten megahertz, but they also have HSPA plus and some in some places dual carrier HSPA plus. So they're not slow; they're just a lot slower than the uh the alternatives well i think you know open media came out uh against this this deal you know and i think that there's a lot that sort of is fishy uh in it overall i i think you know people are the it's the natural outcome right what was going to happen to mobilicity well this is the you know the, they're in bankruptcy for so long uh rogers has sort of really swooped in and wind and the government and come together and uh come up with what i think is a pretty brilliant solution but coming back to Doug's point, um, you know, I think Mobilicity was doing a decent job of serving people who don't really care about their speed, who aren't really traveling, who just want the cheapest plan. And the unfortunate thing, and I think what sort of justifies open media and what we should pay attention to there, what justifies their position, right, is that there were 150,000 people uh, who, were ha who were happy with the service, who stuck around with this company despite all of its problems. Um, and I think that uh, those types of people, like, who's going to be serving them now? The, close, the next closest thing is wind, but I think they're probably going to be looking to raise their, their price in any way possible now. Um, no new, you know, real sort of discount brands on the horizon, aside from 
whatever the the incumbents are are offering. So I mean, I think that there is a bit of a loss here with Mobilicity, uh, and and yeah, that's that's my point. Well, it, it cuts out the 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 baseline expectation of what you can pay to have a phone in Canada right now is just increased, and or like under the assumption that like Rogers will not leave. Like or like, or let's let's take the the Contra example then. So what what if Rogers just bought this on ramp to like like is it worth their time to try and squeeze more revenue out of mobility customers, or is it better to just merge them into like forcibly give them a a, a great plan so that they be, they become they they they're made whole within the the, the greater Rogers entity rather than than jacking it up or, or leaving it. Well, these, these companies have a long history of ignoring um, low-income people, you know, going for the high RPO. And this goes way back into the, the you know, early days of the telephone, right? Um, mm-hmm. But more recently, I think the most recent figures that StatsCan has put out show uh, not, that not only is the mobile adoption in Canada low by international standards, and you can, you know, you can uh, sort of mess around with the numbers and, you know, people in Europe have more than one phone. People in Canada don't, although I think you're seeing that more and more. But one thing that is sort of unequivocal is that at the low income, the low end of the income scale, uh, we're looking at like something something like uh, uh, 60% of households in the low incomes uh, uh, earning under 50K have got cell phones. It's right around 60. Whereas above that, it's in the 80s up to 95, right? So the loss of a company like Mobilicity might just be a drop in the bucket uh, in the overall scheme of things. But to the people who, for whom that's their only option, right? I think it, this it, it does it does spell a bit of a bad bad development because the rest of these companies, you know, they're not uh, they're focused on raising RPO. Basically, yeah. Because so we were talking last week about the difference between um, you know service. Um, and the expectation of that service and the cost, that, that kind of value proposition. And, you know, we're, we're saying a lot of, like, Mobilicity was so bad, Mobilicity was so bad, Mobilicity was so bad. But it is it, – the, the customers, the people that are there are there because the value that they get, base connectivity at a certain price point is what – that's what they want. You know? They don't I mean, want did any- we ever did we ever really de- – like, nobody knows how satisfied these customers were. They may have been staying there because there was nowhere else to go because they had no they they didn't have a better option but right so but how does taking that option away uh put them in a better position these people yeah well we don't i mean okay, so we don't know what's going to happen with mobilicity i mean right now um the the word is that Rogers is going to keep the company's brand intact for a while. Mm-hmm. I think we can look at public mobile's transition into kudo as a direction that Rogers will take it. You know, they'll probably end up transitioning uh, their Mobilicity customers into Chatter or Fido, give them an option. I mean, it, it's, it's more, it's, it's helpful that it was a GSM-based network rather than a, a CDMA-based network because there was an uproar over the transition between new handsets, public's yeah. old network and its new. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Network because they forced everybody to buy new phones. Um, whereas I think most Mobilicity phones will work out of the box on Rogers. Um, actually, I don't think that's true because Rogers doesn't own any 3G, doesn't deploy any 3G service on AWS. So it'll be, it'll depend on whether the Mobilicity line of devices supports 3G over PCS. But I think they'll. I think most of them will. Yeah. So I mean, a, so, lot, a lot of uncertainty. People wondering where their phone service is going to come from, or or whether they might get hit with with one of these types of things. And th- sorry, I just wanted to to ask you: uh, is, Are they shutting public mobile down, like as a brand? Yeah, public. Well, no, public has transitioned into a. It's not. It hasn't launched yet. But if you go to publicmobile.ca, you actually will see a new uh, SIM-only brand. And there's a lot of. I I, I have some. You know, inside news on that that I can't share, but it's basically going to be a bring-your-own-device-only service where you just buy the SIM card and then spend what you want on a combination of voice, text, and data. You can choose not to buy voice. You can choose not to buy text, and you can just get data like you, you know, like what they may offer in, in Manitoba, but you get a bigger discount the more services you purchase so it's not going to be cheaper it's just going to be sort of more convenient purely a la carte it's all a la carte and you can it's all prepaid so you can you buy your service on a 30 on a 730 or 180 day basis i mean it's actually kind of cool like i like the fact that it exists it's just it hasn't launched yet officially it's in beta right now well, maybe they'll move in. I mean, I think the one the one space where you are seeing some competition these days uh, in wireless is with the flanker brands, you know. So maybe yep. with the Mobilicity customers up for up uh, for grabs and Telus feeling the sting of getting denied the deal, you know, maybe they'll move into uh, sort of trying try and pick up those customers. Although I denied sure. the deal, or were they just not the terms weren't right? Well, I mean, they, they were, were they were they were sent away a number of times quite publicly over the past couple of years, right? So Rogers just kind of, they tell us got swooped here. Basically, I think that's what happened. No, that's, 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 well, according to Alec, that's not what happened. Tell us wouldn't concede as much of the wind spectrum or the, of, of the mobilicity spectrum to wind as Rogers. Mm-hmm. Tell us wanted to keep more of it for themselves. And Rogers said, that's fine. You know, Wind basically came to them, to both carriers, to Rogers and Telus with a plan and said, okay, here's what I propose, and if we bring this plan to the government, it's more likely to be uh, accepted than if you just propose to buy Mobilicity outright without divesting any of its spectrum. Mm -hmm. So Telus, apparently Darren Entwistle said, no, I want to keep X blocks of spectrum, and Rogers said, "Fine, we'll we'll give you most of Mobilicity's spectrum. We'll, you know, the fact that they had that Rogers had this Shaw option made it more attractive to Wind, obviously, and so presumably that was, to the federal government as well, and to the federal government because there was this unused spectrum just sitting out there, and it wasn't a little. It was it was like, in some cases, twenty megahertz in in Alberta and, and British Columbia. Uh, so they wanted 
to get all of the spectrum put to use as soon as possible. Yeah, without, so I think without Rogers the embarrassment, was just the best. right? I mean, like they, there's build-out requirements here, and I'm not not sure exactly what they were for AWS, but uh, but surely Shaw was butting up against, uh, you know, a situation where they'd have to be disciplined, you know, saving face yeah. for the government here. And I, I mean, I it know Industry Canada has very capable, you know, like their their spectrum management division. Um, is right on the ball with all this stuff. So, um, yeah. What was I going to say? Wind. Um, uh, Talk about Telus. Telus yeah. is rolling the deal. I forget. Anyway, <laughs> let's um, let's talk a little bit about. Oh, sorry. It was seven years. The rollout. The minimum rollout was seven years for AWS. So they were definitely butting up against it. Let's talk a little bit about this um, total internet package uh, that was launched recently, uh, Ben. You said that this is one of the first you've seen that gives unlimited internet at home and on a smartphone in a single package for Canadians. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what you're talking about just now with the, the, the public mobile build your own uh, type service. I mean, I think that that's sort of what MTS is going with here. This is a service that MTS offers. The baseline product that you have um, is a home internet subscription and a smartphone. You can either get the smartphone from them or you can uh, you can BYOD. But uh, basically, I think what MTS is saying is we're going to provide you with a data link across all our networks, home internet, mobile wireless, and you know they've got this uh, uh, big Wi-Fi sort of uh, network, bunch of hotspots. Uh, competing with Shaw in Winnipeg and probably Brandon too. That's a smaller town, I think 30,000 people. Uh, sec second biggest in Manitoba. But in any case, what MTS is basically saying is, okay, you know, we've got all these networks. You want an internet connection. So we're going to sell you as part and parcel one, one sort of service on your bill, a connection across all your devices. So we don't care what device you use. Uh, you're going to have unlimited internet on uh, all these devices. Right, um, and I think it costs something like uh, the baseline price is sixty dollars, and then you pay an additional twenty-five dollars per smartphone that you attach to the line. So sixty bucks gets you your home internet, and it's ten megabit per second, which I know is uh, pretty slow, but you can upgrade it for to twenty-five for seven bucks a month, or um, I think to fifty for an additional fifteen bucks a month, or something like that. But, uh, but in any case, uh, I, I mean, I think it's really interesting because for so long we've seen voice as the main service or home internet as a, a sort of discrete service, a different thing that you might buy as part of a bundle. But what MTS is really saying is we're, we're just a pipe. People just want this internet connection. They want it wherever they are, uh, you know, and um, they don't want to have limits on it. And I think, I mean, comparing this service to the rest of the, the country, it's, it's really quite innovative you know uh it's quite a lot cheaper than it is in the rest of the places uh there's no limits on it and i mean i know i, I sound like i'm doing an ad roll for uh for mts right here slash manitoba slash manitoba yeah well it's friendly manitoba right got to uh, got to represent uh, manitoba we're just a pipe yeah there you go um well yeah connecting the nation connecting the oil from the west to the east as well connecting but connecting um, the nation in a nation in a province that has one million people but so, I, th I mean, I think it's, it's, pr it's pretty cool to see a company do this when here in Ontario, I'm getting ads in the mail for 
uh, from Rogers and Bell, bundle your cable TV together with your home internet for a uh, hundred bucks a month or something like that. And MTS is talking about, well, you know, you get your internet uh, and you can add TV on as well for 60 bucks on all your devices. You know, like that's, that's uh, I wish I was still living there. No, you don't. Yeah. But the, well, the service is slower. I mean, it's a, it's a lot slower than it was, than it would be in Ontario, right? Mm. But let's even compare that. So this is like my, my, my dream is like tech savvy doing something like this down the road because like like just comparing those prices like i pay ooh, what is it like 40 like around around 50 dollars a month for similar speeds for home internet um via tech savvy so for 20 bucks on top to have that with everything else like Good God! What were, uh, what were, what were we saying bef- before we started? Just comparing that to the like the Bell pricing. Okay, like to- so um, the cell service. So what we're talking about here is just data. So if you want to add your voice on, it's extra. So I think I did a uh, um, a bit of a comparison last night, um, and I figured that the MTS service was going to cost you if you wanted to have the unlimited voice, uh, the home internet, and the um, the date unlimited data. Uh, for MTS, it was going to cost you about 100 bucks plus tax for one cell phone, one internet connection, unlimited everything, including voice, right? Amazing. Um, Bell uh, doesn't offer an unlimited wireless plan, so I took a look at their, um, their uh, $90. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, let, me, let me backpedal there. The 100 bucks with MTS is uh, what you pay all in with a smartphone, not including voice. Um, the same thing for Bell. I did 90 bucks for 20 gigs on their mobile, like their internet only flex plan, right? Yeah. 90 bucks for 20 gigs, uh, is the closest you can get to the unlimited, right? Um, and then 55 bucks a month for their 15 megabit internet service, which is the closest comparable to, uh, MTS is 10, but that comes baseline with a 50 gig limit. And it's like, yeah. I just got an Xbox one, the, the digital download that came with the box was 90 gigabytes right so uh so it's like 50 gigabytes like i don't understand how they're selling internet plans with 50 gigabytes so add an extra 30 bucks on there and what we're looking at is 100 bucks from mts uh will cost you 175 bucks from bell for a comparable thing now under understandable like that's were they to bundle there'd probably be some some price smoothing but that's significant right the thing is with uh, Bell and Rogers and TELUS is that they bundle things, but they do so in, in a very shady and, and old-fashioned way by bundling things with three-month discounts on a two-year plan. Or you'll have to commit to three years of service yeah. in order to get that discount going forward. Yeah, and- we'll, we'll take $5 off your bill for 12 months. Can I also um, – I, I've been looking into this, actually, and I know this wasn't on the uh, on the – the talking points, but um, have you guys seen these? Hello, happy Rogers lady. I never really, <laughs> like, I don't know what she's doing that she's so happy on her computer. But um, Cats. What else could cats? she be doing? Yeah, this is like one of those deals, and Bell's offering a similar one. I've noticed contract service for Wireline, right, which is, I think, relatively new. So uh, so there's termination fees. Uh, sorry. So they're doing what they did with wireless pre-code. Yeah, pre-code. And wireline. just as the CRTC is creating this basic TV thing, they're getting people locked into contracts now 
so that when next year in March this basic TV thing comes along, people will be like, oh, I want to switch. And then Roger starts talking about, oh, sorry, $200 cancellation fee. And for the bundles, uh, it's actually interesting. I was just in the source buying this, uh, this fancy no-name brand uh, headset for our conversation. Uh, Beats by Mobile Syrup. And they're t- Beats by Mobile Syrup, yeah. Well, maybe you can buy the brand from Apple. But yeah, um, right. <laughs> they, uh, they're talking about there's a cancellation fee for the internet and for the cable. right? So w- when you sign this bundled contract, you're looking at double cancellation fees. Okay. Uh, which is, I mean, if I was a big company who was doing this type of thing, I'd be looking for ways to f- loopholes in the regulations and stuff like that. But it's kind of scummy. Why? Yeah. Why? That's why everyone hates you. Well, that's why people so stay old fashioned. Why? No, like if if you, like no. Also, yeah. Why? Uh, I don't understand activation fees. What? What is an act? Why do you need an activation fee? Let me let me read the full details. It says, uh, uh, when you buy this bundle, you get unlimited internet usage and um, access to Rogers Nextbox. For two years, discounted access to the next box. That's Dis- on top of the advertised price, which I actually think is probably illegal. Sorry to cut you off there. I had a long the- conversation with the um, the customer service, and the next box costs an additional eighteen bucks after the discount on top of the advertised price that they're charging you. Right. So, so it says discounted next box rental, but they don't include the the cost of the next box within the price. Yeah. So this sixty two bucks a month that they're advertising right here for the first three months, and then in the small print that you probably can't read on my low resolution computer, hundred and five bucks afterwards. That doesn't even actually include an additional twenty dollars that you're paying for the t- the cable box. So this reads. Um like a three-year contract on wireless did about three, two, three years ago. An early cancellation fee applies if, for any reason, your internet service is canceled prior to the end of the term. Uh, and it's Ill- this is illegal in Newfoundland and Quebec, so it says not applicable to residents of those two provinces. The early cancellation fee <laughs> is fifteen. Not applicable mo- where illegal. The fifteen dollars. The ECF is fifteen dollars per month remaining in the term to a maximum of two hundred dollars if canceled during the first year. And a max of one hundred dollars if canceled during the second year. Um, so, this is basically an ar- I mean, it's it's an arbitrary number that they're applying to early cancellation fees. Doesn't have to do anything with the equipment because you are still renting your cable box and your uh, and your, which is I mean probably integrated with the uh, the modem. So it's not like in wireless where you're getting to own the device at the end. Yeah. So, so I have, I have two core takeaways from this. First, I really, really need to return my Bell router. <laughs> uh, I should get on that. Second, we're all moving to Manitoba. Manitoba, what? Well, I mean, maybe these. Yeah, I don't know. I've been I've been going on about this point for a couple years now, right? Is it? It's the same same thing. Way cheaper in these other places. Um, but in the other places where there is no incentive to not be a jerk. Well, I think there's a, I mean, yeah, these are 100-year history of being public companies, uh, you know, sometimes owned by the government, whereas you've got Bell with 100-year history of being a private company, beholden to shareholders. I think there's lots of ins and outs. Hard to explain. You know, there's po- probably a higher, um, higher income levels, so people willing to spend more in Ontario and B.C. But, uh, but this... But, but no, forget, forget the 
cost, right? Because, you know, even when we were talking about, like, you know, RPU in BC is higher. Well, it's also really expensive to live in BC. So, like, pricing expectation just rises, right? We're, we're just talking about, like, the simplicity of, like, hey, you want your stuff? Duh, obviously. Here's your stuff. Here's how much it's going to cost a month. Don't worry about it. Versus reading the fine print to understand what is it is you're paying for, what you own, and what you owe them. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a... It's it's a methodology beyond pricing. It's predatory, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's predatory because it's not it's not saying, "Hey, we're going to give you a great service. Here's great value. It's worth more to pay $10 a month." It's 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 all these little fees and all these little overcharges overcharging on billings, which at an individual level is a small amount, but nationwide adds up adds up to a, a huge chunk of change. You know, before the government steps in and say, hey, the thing that you were doing that we told you we were going to change, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, in terms of, it would be nice if the government didn't have to step in on these kinds of things. Um, but. Well, if that's, but that's why we have government, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's, it, and it's always been that way. You know, like the, this, these, these companies, the people who work for them in the regulatory departments love to go on about the free market and uh, don't, don't interfere in the market and so on. But, I mean, it's, it's always a dance between the state and the uh, the industry in terms of, in, particularly in terms of uh, industries of national importance. But um, where it's going with this, I mean, if they want to persist in these types of things and pick out the loopholes, yeah, you guys are right to call me on saying, why, why would I do that if I was in, in the office? Because it's, it's, it's really stupid, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see an integrated service provider code coming out of the CRTC. They're already getting ready to look into um, the ombudsman, the commissioner for complaints for telecommunication services and uh don't even ask me to do it in french but you know if they're going to start so blatantly um trying to sort of skirt the spirit of the rules in one segment of the market when they're not allowed to in the other would you be at all surprised to see an integrated telecom and communication service provider code of conduct i i wouldn't and there's been indication that they're on their way to doing that uh for example they've prevented uh they, they now prevent companies from charging for paper bills on uh the wireline side and the uh, cable side and they also force um companies like rogers to allow cancellation on the day of with, like they do with the under the wireless code whereas prior they had to give 30 days notice mm -hmm. uh to canceling so these are small issues that are you know being built essentially being built into a wireless code piecemeal and eventually i i do see that especially once the let's talk tv uh basic bundle comes into effect i would definitely think that the crtc will say okay well let's work with the government uh let's let's you know start a uh, a consultation with the with the providers and work with the government to get a, something else um, on board like the wireless code because it's that, working. Does that require a new kind of government body with a mandate to do that? Like that, that we're talking, we're not talking about regulation anymore. We're talking about the the creation of this is law. Well, they've already no, no, they've, no. I mean, they've, they've already got the um, the ombudsman, the CCTS, right? So that's uh, that's it's not created by law. I think it's first of all, it's 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 like a I think a private company that the um, is funded by the telcos. And this, it, you know, that it exists on Jesus. encouragement of the CRTC. No, but I've spoken to to them on the phone. It is independent. You know, the the fellow who runs, you know, is in charge of the place. The name of Howard Maker, I think, is a very smart guy, and is dedicated to his job. But 
terms of what Daniel, in terms of what you're saying, um, one would hope that instead of building it up piecemeal until we have this sort of giant mishmash of regulations and different little things that apply to, to specific carriers or specific types of services, you think that they would see that coming and maybe try and consolidate and do it in an efficient way, right? And, uh, right. and, and as it stands, this commissioner, um, they're already considering whether to expand it from just telecom to include television service as well. So, uh, so Doug, maybe, um, I mean, you, you'd hope that they wouldn't need some sort of big legislative overhaul to, to make that happen. Yeah, because there's more than one dumb pipe now in the 21st century. Like, it's just a series of tubes, man. Tubes. So I, I just I want to clarify something that Ben said just now, because I think the CCTS would take umbrage with the, with, with the classification of being a, a carrier-funded organization. They're, they're not a carrier-funded organization in the sense that the government hasn't, you know, basically, the government has oversight over the CCTS, but then the Rogers, Bell, and Telus are just funneling money like they do into the CWTA. The CCTS is a non-for-profit, uh, and it's it's basically... Um, yeah, but it, it's the money that pays for it comes from the telephone companies. That's all I was trying to say. I wasn't right, trying to say it was controlled by them or anything. No, but but it's it, the money comes from it as a as an external externally mandated fund by the CRTC, mm-hmm. right? So the CRTC has said, okay, you need to put aside some money from every customer every month, or gotcha. so whatever. The, the telecoms have no control over the, yeah. the the budgeting or spending, but it's the telecoms have to basically adhere to the amount of money sent to the CCTS based on a formula that it works out every year in its budget. Yeah, so, there's there's always a formula. You know, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, most of the money that pays for the CRTC comes from the telephone companies, and most of the money that pays for public interest groups. And I should stop talking about the money because people will be pissed. But this is this is a fact of this is that that's the only point I'm trying to make. Right. No, I, I don't. I don't disagree with with the point. I'm more just saying that if I don't want people to get the impression that the CTC, the CCTS is in, in any way manipulated by the carriers because from what i can tell and from what you know its own filings show they're not mm-hmm. well yeah it's not but not even manipulation just clarifying whether or not there's a direct funding relationship because this is very different say than the federal government deciding how much money the cbc has to be a body right you know, but it's, like it's rogers like, can't so rogers it's like and bell have union dues essentially like they to be a telecom, you have to pay a few dues, and they go into funding these organizations which help regulate them. Yeah, I think that's you a good way. You have to pay a few dudes, and they go and break some knees, and, and then, you know, not the complaints go dues, away. Dues, dues, not dudes. <laughs> They're not ranchers. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's finish up um, with a little, a little discussion on last week's... Um, sorry, l- let's talk a little bit about the BlackBerry earnings, because yeah, uh, I think that's Black interesting. Ranch, All right. Um, Douglas, you um, you were at an IoT event yesterday for uh, BlackBerry's partnership with the McKenzie Center of Health or McKenzie Health Center McKenzie in, Richmond, Health Hill? in, McKenzie in Health? Richmond Hill, which is not yeah. in Toronto. I learned on the hard my way. way to and from. Good lord, <laughs> that's where I grew up, so I'm I'm familiar. Really? Um, so you're not from Toronto? Because nope. that that is not like I was surprised there wasn't a Porter flight. <laughs> well, there's a Go bus. So, 
That's Continue. all I have to say. Do you want me to talk about the event now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let you uh, seethe for a second and then continue. Oh, okay. So, um, this is... Uh, BlackBerry's been talking for a while about getting into IoT, uh, having owned uh, Qnix, which is a operating system which powers a variety of devices across industries. So, it, it makes sense for them to, to try to monetize that more efficiently. Um there's actually a really great article, uh, a really great interview done uh, on the Disruptors, the BNN show that uh, BetaKit has partnered with, uh, with John Chen talking about th- you know, their desire to be a player in IoT. Um, there's a few, I think three verticals that BlackBerry's trying to play in uh, with this. One is uh, like transportation, one is healthcare, and I think the third is government. Um, the the healthcare stuff is is a little less farther along than some of the other uh, IoT industries. So yeah, specifically in Canada. So McKenzie Health is this uh, kind of forward thinking uh, body that's been working with the I think it's the Ontario Center of Excellence to do these phased rollouts of basically smart health technology. Um, so phase one was uh, connecting smart beds. And providing information on just like patient information, people in the beds. Phase two, which was the rollout yesterday, was essentially uh, connecting that information with uh, essentially a BEZ and, and mobile devices. Uh, so the right information is being routed to the care providers, the doctors, uh, at the time in which they need it. So they don't have to use pagers anymore or they see you know, broadcast information of, of alerts across the board. So uh, provision to your device based upon a, a series of rules, uh, the doctors and uh, care providers are alerted when they need to know. And then there's also integration opportunities with uh, patients from their mobile devices as well. So it's basically, you know, phase two of health tech in Canada is dropping a bez and some smartphones uh, and connecting those slightly to some of the connected devices. Where so I assume I assume the doctors are using BlackBerry phones. Yeah. So there there were uh, uh, I think three uh, partners with it. Yeah. So the, there's Cisco, which is just doing all the networking stuff. BlackBerry, which is doing obviously uh, the the mobile smartphone component and the and the the Bez provisioning, and then Thoughtwire. Uh, which actually is doing the smart device connection between the medical systems and then routing that information through um, BEZ. So in, in this situation, BlackBerry is only a communication platform. Uh, although there are tons of uh, medical devices that are running on Qnix, in the sense that like so many things that we don't even know about are, are running Qnix, they are actually not smart. They aren't they don't do not have the capacity to connect to an IoT system. They they are kind of like a, inert. Uh, they're dumb smart devices, is the way I think I described it in the write up. Um, unlike say cars, where Cunix uh, has um, a lot of headway, and where kind of BlackBerry has started with their IoT platform, which can you know which were built from the beginning to receive kind of like uh, uh, over the air software updates or to be updated when they go in for servicing. Uh, a lot of this medical health tech is kind of like, hey, you buy it once, you use it for 15 years, seal it. Like, you know, it's it's running the base level OS, but there's there's no there's no way to connect it. Um, and then secondarily, the the companies that that build this kind of stuff um, 
have yet to adopt the mentality of, say, automobile manufacturers where they're looking to have, you know, like once you make smart tech, once you have something that's running an OS, there's a bit of a responsibility to um, kind of service that, update it, maintain a relationship. So um, I was speaking with the uh, Blackberry's created like a kind of like a healthcare uh, committee internally to kind of understand the roles and requirements uh, of what what the industry needs in Canada. And part of what they've been doing is just going around and kind of speaking to these companies to get them to to test the waters on whether or not you know they're they're looking to and understanding the value of building devices that you have a relationship with over time. Um, so it's a weird thing where like, yeah, Cunix runs the world, but BlackBerry can't necessarily capitalize on that yet and profit from it. Um, so which is why they, they're using an intermediary. So, I mean, let's talk about that because, you know, BlackBerry's profit has been a, 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 a widespread, um, you know, cause for concern over the last few years. There for is half a very, decade now. There is no profit. Uh, they lost money in the last quarter. They only sold 1.1 million devices, but the one shining light in you know a sea of darkness is the 150 percent improvement in software mm-hmm. revenue, uh, and they're on target to breach their 500 million dollar software revenue goal for uh, fiscal 20, 2015, I believe. So, what happens when BlackBerry no longer sol- sells any phones because? You know, they, they recognize the revenue from 1.1 million phones, and that's still made up 60, 40% of their overall revenue, which is lower than it has been in, ever, but it's still 40% of their overall, you know, $658 million yeah. take-home. They, so, haven't, they haven't sold this few phones since, like, 2000, since I started writing about BlackBerry since a 2007. decade ago. Oh, okay, so a few years later. Uh, I thought it was, like, 2005. But so, but 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 that's part of the plan, right? So this is part of the transition towards being a more software as a service company. And I'm not I'm not saying like, oh, BlackBerry's capacity to play in IoT is a is a you know they're never gonna get it. It's just more. It just demonstrates how early this is, um, and in this partic- particular vertical of of IoT, IOHT, the Internet of Healthcare Things, which is a it's a, a ridiculous acronym smushed into another ridiculous ac- acronym. Um, so I, th- I think the takeaway for BlackBerry from this is that um, they are well positioned to handle this, and like you know, uh, the M- McKenzie Health Body is a is a very they they are um, uh, they speak the language of tech very well, and they understand that. They were actually there was a one reference during the the panel conversation about them using a, a, a lean lean methodology to kind of like better enable um, decisions along implementations of solutions, which is, you know, you don't think about people in the, in the healthcare industry um, understanding like core principles of technology development. Um, so their, their partnering with BlackBerry wasn't kind of like a, hey, you know, home family thing. Like BlackBerry is providing a, a useful service here but it is just the service that they've always been providing which is uh communication and security uh, right. provision to you know essentially local networks um the fact that a company like uh thoughtwire has to come in and connect those devices to um the the communication infrastructure that blackberry's already already always had 
points to the opportunity and then where um, BlackBerry is and I think where IoT is in healthcare right now. It's it's early. Um, but it, it, it is kind of this thing where, you know, there's been a lot of changeover in BlackBerry's IoT division or divisions, a lot of um, shifting in the in the leadership and, you know, announcements that have, you know, they're still in their, their kind of beta trial of a thing that they announced, like Project Ion for, like, last year. I think it was supposed to roll out in, like, November of last year. And then Alex Saunders, who was leading that, left the company, uh, works at Microsoft now. So they're they're still sorting it out. So the idea that, you know, that revenue for next year is going to be hugely IoT, I think it, it's still too early. So... I, I I think you know BlackBerry still garners so much attention on mobile syrup and elsewhere. Everybody wants to talk about you know the company as a smartphone manufacturer, but I think it's getting closer and closer to the time. I mean, it's maybe only two or three years out where that portion of the company will be so non uh, will, will be so unimportant or, or such a small percentage of its overall revenue that we'll really have to talk about it like we do IBM today and HP. And, you know, to some extent, Microsoft, not as a hardware company, but as, um, you know, a company that touches mobile, but through so many different, um, more ethereal areas, rather than here's a phone that we made that mm-hmm. talks to the software we made that helps IT managers talk to the other software we made. Um, you know, it may just be the um, that that hardware portion will just be any device, whether it's a BlackBerry from yeah. two, three years ago, or an iPhone, or a Black, yeah. or an Android, it doesn't matter. Which is the plan? Like we've been talking about BlackBerry not being a hardware company for the since we've been podcasting. Uh, I think that next phase that you're articulating is not just saying they're no longer a hardware company, but talking about the other things that they're doing <laughs> in terms of uh, services and software and and mobility uh, being. Um, you know what, what mobile extending extending beyond a, a smartphone to you know the the smart bed or um, you know connected monitors and all these alert systems and all these all these devices that are running Unix that if they could if they could talk to each other and talk to a centralized cloud system could you know really uh, do some amazing things. So and I, that'll I think, eventually but, happen, right? Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a great thing, like because it you know even though you know BlackBerry can't turn on the world right now of all the all the devices running Qnix. It's not like people are choosing a platform other than Qnix to for all these, you know, software running pieces of hardware, right? So if they can slowly, you know, work IoT into the stream, you know, they're really well positioned to 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 do something about that. Um but yeah, you they'll be they'll no longer be um that traditional mobile company that we've known for years. And even then they weren't, even then they still, they just sold the hardware. They had to be a hardware provider to sell their services, which was data encryption and communication and security. It's just now they don't have to produce the hardware to do that. And the, the consumer side of things, you know, for a while was a, more or less a happy accident. You know, it was never, they never wanted or intended to be a consumer a hardware company the way that, you know, well, Apple for a while is. they proactively proactively avoided it, and then they realized. Then they looked at the numbers and saw how many people were like kind of using BBM and and the hand me down device effect. But that's that's the story of mobility, right? You know, mm-hmm. this enterprise. You know, the 
computers to personal computers. People make one thing for business. It's the more advanced tech than the average consumer wants it. And then you get the BlackBerry Pearl. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I think it's, again, it's back to their kind of core culture. Um, but it's still, it's still early. It's phase, it's phase two of what is an endless series of phases to connect these things, right? Um, so right, right now, the most advanced innovation division of healthcare in Canada looks a lot like an enterprise did in the mid-2000s, where you have people using smartphones to talk to each other in a way that's useful, mm-hmm. uh, which can have a dramatic impact on patient care. Like, I, I'm not dismissing the fact that, like, you know, there are still doctors who are using pagers, who have to oh, find... Oh, there's tons of them because they're faster and they uh, are cheaper and they're generally... They don't need to be two-way communication devices. Well, my, but... my aunt at SickKids Hospital still uses a pager yeah. because it's, it's a cost thing too. It's really expensive to buy every doctor and every nurse and every um, you know, admin assistant in a hospital a $400 smartphone. Yeah. But the problem is, is that those nurses and those doctors, when they're not using pagers are using their personal phones to send text messages and private health care information um, to each other, which is a, a big, bad no-no. Bad problem. Um, also, there, there's this... Um, I linked to the... Uh, BlackBerry did a, a piece about it. It's not just uh, being able to receive alerts. It's the ability to kind of triage and smartly deal with that because um, if you receive a page or a, a, a broadcast alert for every time a, there's a patient request, like if every nurse in the hospital gets that, you start tuning out uh, the, the alerts. There's like alert fatigue. So to yeah. only receive the information when you need it to know that there's a situation because these smart beds and other systems are working is, is huge for patient care. Right. Um, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just so early. So, BlackBerry conclusion, doing okay. Not going anywhere just yet. Still going uh, according to plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it there today. Um, thank you so much for, for listening. Ben, thanks so much for joining us. You uh, are, are always an awesome guest to have, and we'll have you back again soon now that you have <laughs> a decent mic. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks for having me. I have a good time chatting with you guys for sure. And Douglas, uh, you're the man. Thanks for, for being here every Thursday, bright and early. I'll live to um, Everybody, thanks so much for, for checking us out. If you enjoyed this podcast, give us some, some stars, hopefully five, on the iTunes store or post, wherever you found this. Post a comment on your review. Let us know why or if you'd live in Manitoba. And uh, if you are listening in Manitoba, let us know if you are going to buy that total internet package. We're really interested in learning more about the people who make up that fine province. Um, that's our show today. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.